0: Thanks for pressing play, swimmers and swimmers. I'm your host, Garrett McCaffrey. And joining us today, she's an Olympic gold medalist, former American record holder. She's a member of the Stanford Athletic Hall of Fame. She coached at Stanford as the head coach of the women's program for six years. And now she's in her second year at University of Southern California. This year, her title is the Peter Dayland Endowed Swimming Coach Chair. She's Lee Maurer, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. we thanks so much for joining us um it, let's start with that title is this the first year that they've used that peter dalen endowed swimming coach chair title
1: i the first to my knowledge, I was informed that I needed to add it to my tag. And like you said, it's a mouthful. You nailed it. Um, but um, it's exciting to be uh, supported by the Trojan family and um, to feel as if there are people who are um, investing in the program and making sure that it's reaching its um, you know, high point.
0: For sure. And it includes a legendary name right there in the title with Peter Dalen. And I kind of want to start there with you because as a swimmer, we're going to kind of go back a little bit and uh, talk about a little bit of your swimming and how it formed your coaching. But you swam for some legends. I mean, John Collins, Randy Reese, Richard Quick. How how did those coaches impact your coaching?
1: Massively. All three of those coaches um, have led to a big component of my, my coaching and my swimming. I think for John Collins, I obviously swam for for him from a very young age and and to a very old age, I think one thing that he's instilled in me is um, kind of that uh, little fish, big pond feeling as if always, um, you know, we joke about the pinky in the brain feeling as if, you know, I did nationals and, and I, I never was reaching my goals. And I, in a moment of frustration asked him, how do you keep training me and, he said, You know, it's the same. Pinky and Brain at the end, they say, What are we going to do today, Brain? And Pinky said, or Pinky asked, and Brain says, Same thing we do every day, try and take over the world. And John said to me at one point, You know, every day I come in and try and make you the best in the world. Um, So whether you won nationals or you got 11th, you know, my task today is the same. So um, I definitely, have that in every workout that I come through um, or to or right is feeling like I'm trying to make uh, my athletes the best in the world in every opportunity. Um, Randy Reese, um, an innovator. Um, he, I still call him. He'll probably be tragic that I'm uh, admitting that he feels my phone calls, but um, he's a brilliant mind. Um, I think he's always doing, you know, people say you need an engineering degree to understand my workouts. And and that comes from Randy Reese um in planning this year. I've reached out to him a lot, just feeling as if we want that collective good, but the individuality and feeling as if we do different, different pool lengths and different um, you know, feeling like we're t- we're attending to all the pieces of swimming short. Like sprints, middle distance, I am, underwater is all of that. So um, he's an innovator, um, I, you know, trying to problem solve, feeling as if there's always pieces of workout where people feel their strength and are attending to their weaknesses. That's a big part of my culture. And that's born out of my experience swimming with Randy. And then I think Richard was um, model what you expect. So if you want athletes to show up early, um, you show up earlier. And, um, and, and he always um, was equally as committed and engaged to work out. Um, he was all in from the 15 minutes before to the 15 minute, minutes after. So all three of them hold um, a huge piece of my heart and inspire me, um, you know, still.
0: It's awesome. You could tell that you put a lot of thought and, you know, credit towards those coaches and how they impacted you, as as you had such success as an athlete. How does that impact your coaching, good and bad?
1: Um, I think you know, as a coach, you know, there's a lot of uh, people early on that would knock that very few good swimmers were good coaches. Uh, maybe I wasn't that good <laughs> um, because I think I was a big student of the sport. I think um, you know one thing. I I I feel as if maybe the length of my swimming career was too long. But um, you name it, I've done it. I've got third at Olympic trials. I've made the Olympic team at Olympic trials. I've laid an egg at Olympic trials. I have won NC two A's. I have failed gloriously at NC2A's. Um, but I think the differentiator is I love swimming. I love the Olympics. I love the sport. Um, I have a healthy-ish relationship with the sport. Um, and I'm really happy with that component of who I am as a swimmer. Um, you know, people laugh. I got fourth in the 200 back. I might be the only individual who talks about getting fourth and has some pride in it. Um you know I just feel really strongly that I want people to love swimming feel really proud of what they've done and um have a healthy relationship with themselves the body the sport um, so I think I have, you know, like a lot of experiences to draw from and a lot of joy to bestow and feel as if um, there's a lot to be proud of um, and to achieve, of course. Um, but I think that's one of my gifts is just feeling as if in the end, I want them to stay connected and and um feel really good about what they did and 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 the sport that they come back and and feel good about watching the olympics and be proud of whatever they did whether they made it they didn't you know what have you um we should enjoy watching olympic swimming no matter who you are
0: for sure and you took your love and passion for the sport after you were done competing Um, And initially after a year or two at Northwestern as the assistant at the collegiate level, spent some years coaching high school and had great success uh, at the high school level. What does that type of experience give you that kind of forms a little bit of a foundation of your coaching as well?
1: I think one of the best anecdotes was if you could make those high school swimmers, and some of them were football players swim fast, you'll be able to swim, uh, teach talented people to swim fast. But I think probably just, um, yeah, taking some people that were more, um, you know, land lovers and making them aquatic, feeling as if you had to invite people to um, scull or get a feel for the water um, who weren't um, water babies and, and, you know, building teams and just um, kind of feeling as if I sharpened I, you know, I, I definitely, those are growth edges in terms of how do you get people who are a little more raw, um, and, and get them to, to finesse their way and, and to work as a collective good, collective group.
0: Was it then a huge contrast to then jump to Stanford where a lot of those athletes come in as some of the best in the country? Um, and your six years, you had amazing success. You put girls on the Olympic women on the Olympic team. Uh one pack tens or pack twelves, I'm not sure exactly where it was at at that point. Sorry, but and then you know, top <laughs> two, top three finishes, a bunch of top five finishes at NC2As. It was a wildly successful run at Stanford, but does it get overshadowed by kind of the reputation of Stanford swimming at all?
1: Uh I don't know. I mean, you know, no one really remembers if you go back to the way back machine, but um You know, there's a reason I got the job at Stanford. It wasn't the highly coveted position at that time. And in that moment, um, you know, I I loved Richard and he made me great. And we had phenomenal swim teams and I loved Stanford. But I did want I did have a specific goal of going to Stanford, returning them to the top and then um, helping those young women own their sport for a big part of my um, coaching is to feel as if that last 15 meters um, it's all you and it's your win and your sport. Um, And I love Richard and, but I do think that there was a component that it was um, a lot of responsibility and ownership on him. And I thought I could deliver that last 15% to the women on that team where um, they owned their sport and felt very proud of um, the gifts that they were given and how I could help them see it to fruition so, um, when I went there, I I really went in effort to give back. So many people gave to me, including Richard, um, and made my life into one that is pretty spectacular, one where I feel like I am passionately pursuing life and and have a lot to be grateful for. And I wanted to feel as if I... I pivoted the culture a little bit and helped them to kind of achieve their goals. So it wasn't that different. It was again kind of every day, just feeling like iron sharpening iron, feeling as if how were we working together. Um, but that's like a, probably the biggest piece is feeling as if that um, ownership and pride in the sport and feel. But that that's an interesting pivot. Cause I remember we got to NC2As and I was like, you're ready. You've got this. And they're like, what do you have anything else in the bag? Like any, any tricks or sticks. And So it was um pivoting a little bit at uh, maybe the first year I needed to sell that a little bit more where I think they were hoping that, you know, there was some magic and And we just had to kind of change the narrative that, um, you know, hard work pays off, teamwork is valuable um, versus believing that it was something um, other than um, your own, you know, individual um, sport and feeling like you had total control over what you did in that lane line. Mm -hmm.
0: After your success at Stanford, um, it it was a couple years off of the collegiate deck. Uh, What were you, what was keeping you busy through that time? Oh, gosh. Back to the
1: deck. (laughs) Gonna go boneless. (laughs) Oh, well, um, the exciting piece was I was the, volunteer assistant for Stanford water polo men. And um, that was my lifeline. And talk about sharpening my skills. If there are individuals who do not like to swim, it is water polo players, which is ironic because um, they, I think it will help them. The thing that saved me, because swimmers might get angry, but I don't think, I don't know how many swim coaches have been throat punched, but there were definitely water polo players who I had concerned that they might actually throat punch me. It never happened. Um, And they're pretty big guys, but um, they would call it bangers where they're just like, that is a banger. The thing that saved me with the men's water polo players is they like their bodies by Lee. So they really, they shredded pretty nicely from the swimming and uh and that was a saving grace um yeah so uh, that actually was really intriguing for me I think we had a lot of success um they did not like swimming I had to be even more creative again drawing upon Randy Reese maybe a little less on John Collins when I was training the water polo players but again feeling like you know cutting through the water versus like being craving resistance, um, getting those big guys to control their heart rate. Um, you know, that was exciting. And, and I love kind of the science and, and kind of the puzzle piecing, um, you know, in terms of how to get them to work and how to invite them to kind of uh, figure it out.
0: What drew you back to the the swimming deck? So it was about a a little over a year ago that you were named the associate head coach there at USC. What what drew you back?
1: Yeah, so COVID hit and uh, we had already been in the house um, at a level. I'm not a house cat. I'm an outside person. But in Chicago, you live in your house uh, a longer portion of the year. And COVID hit and there was basically lockdown saying, you know, don't leave your house. And my in-laws had an apartment in Naples, Florida, and I declared that I was driving to Florida in the car and my family repeated the mandate of, I don't know if you heard, we're not supposed to leave the house. And I was like, all right, let's be clear. Mom is going to be in a car going to Florida. If there's anyone who wants to join me, <laughs> we'll be leaving at four 30 in the morning. So, Um, we all packed up and drove to Florida and lived in Naples, which was um, more open and the boys were swimming in the backyard pool um, of a friend of a friend. So I was on deck a little bit there. And then, um, yeah, we worked out a little bit at T2 and I was on deck and there I had the epiphany that um, I needed to be back on deck that um, I missed it. And um, yeah, the hiatus was up. And so I called Jeremy and asked him whether he would consider um, hiring me. And he did. And it was $39 a ticket to fly from Chicago to Los Angeles. And I think we were the only four people on the plane. And I was the only individual who was totally giddy about it. We, I think we were going straight into the apex of COVID. And they were like, any concern mom that we're the only ones flying KLA and it's costing us $160. And I was like, nope. <laughs> All good. All signs are go. <laughs> so <laughs> I have resilient kids and a resilient husband.
0: Yeah. In hindsight, you know, not necessarily, you know, the worst decision. That was probably a safer time to fly than even right now. But (laughs) (laughs) um, did your whole family end up moving out to L.A. for the job then?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, Luke is at Stanford, so uh, it was short term for him. And then Rex um, was going to swim at Rose Bowl with Jeff Julian and go to Loyola um, Jesuit High School um, about a mile and a half from here in Los Angeles and then Eric um, was able to uh, work from home.
0: That's awesome. So big change, big transition coming off the pandemic. And then um, we don't need to get into the details, but there was some drama there at at USC. What was it like kind of, you know, holding it together as the interim coach as things were kind of shaky all around last year?
1: Uh, I should have used you. I mean, uh, I think the thing that was amazing about last year or beautiful about last year was it was more like Groundhog Day. And again, you know, John, you know, did challenge me to kind of come in and be the best of the world every day. But um, I'm really protective of the dream space of the pool. It was such an empowering sport for me. Um, I didn't come from much money and swimming was um, just a place that I found my power and was able to just really recharge um, and and find kind of what's right in the world. It was a very empowering sport for me just as a human and an individual. So I'm really protective of that space with athletes. And so I think we did challenge ourselves and we did execute. And I hope we can continue that this year, just that Groundhog Day approach where it's just every day coming in and just getting a little bit better and knowing what you're in for. Um, But I thought we did an incredible job as a team taking it one day at a time, one workout at a time, because we really didn't know what was next. And and the best way to kind of make the most of it was to you know kind of stay in the moment, stay where our feet are, and just you know the best thing we could do is make the most of it, build relationship, and not worry about what was next. Um, and you know that's that's a beautiful way to live. It's just hard to hold on to. But last year, actually, because of the circumstances, it was a galvanizing force.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, trying to use that as the the driving mission for yourself and as many people who are getting on the bus as possible. But when you're trying to get 50 to 60 young teenage to young early 20 adults on that same bus, there's got to be a little bit of, you know, pushback and stuff like that. What was the toughest part kind of going through last year and maybe making some tough decisions where they're you know, people who, I don't know if there were transfers or cuts that had to be made, but when it came to like, just making sure the culture was everybody is on this bus or not, um, did you have to make any tough calls?
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't, you know, the, the hard part was the uncertainty that was, you know, tough. And then right, you get the job and that, you know, I had, you know, maybe everybody does, but the first few weeks I was handed, um, yeah, some big challenges where um, I did have to make cuts because of Title IX. And I think um, no one... I am maybe the worst person for that. Um, you know, former friend of mine who was a coach said, you know, there's no wounded bird that you don't believe you can make fly. And um, I take it as a compliment. I don't think it was given to me as a compliment, but I do believe that, um, you know, I have the ability to kind of uh, make a lot of people better and and really um, have them soar. I think I did a as a thoughtful of a process. So um, I did engage in a very thoughtful process to your point, trying to understand um, where they were, um, you know, and basically the cuts were made either on performance or culture based. um, And it's not a perfect science um, and it's, and it's an un tenable situation but I did the best I could and th- that was challenging um it's not something that I wish but I think there were other programs that had to do the same thing and talking to their coaches cuz with covid they weren't necessarily enforcing it but there's going to be you know around the country showing earnest effort that you're trying to be compliant with title 9 and we were we were out of out of balance
0: got it that is really tough little card to be played right off the bat as the head coach and then uh, trying to get your team right as far as your coaching staff, you had uh, Megan still on board and you had Kevin also still on board. And then this offseason, you made a couple hires, um, bringing in Peter Richardson over from U of A, as well as Brooks Fail, who just finished his fifth year at U of A. What what do you look for when you're trying to add to your coaching staff? What makes a good coach and what made those two the right coaches for your staff?
1: Um, I think right now we're really focused on um, culture um, or rebranding or rebuilding. Um, You know, for me, I needed people who were interested in the sport to give back and, um, and the North star is, um, you know, feeling like we're fighting for national championships and putting people on the Olympic team. I'm hardwired where I want, you know, my aspirations are at the highest level and, um, I want anyone who signs up for USC to make sure that they know that this is a space that that can be happened. And we're going to um, turn over every stone to make sure. Um, but, you know, also just feel as if we are in this for the kids, you know, uh, very service oriented um, coaches, very technical oriented and and creative. But I think we want to enjoy our job kind of that internship where if you had to spend three hours in an airport um, with someone and, you know, people on our team and people on our staff, um, we spend a lot of time together. Um, we want to enjoy it. We definitely, you know, nothing's more fun than than being in the in the trenches with each other and, and achieving goals. Um, but we feel like we also want to kind of feel like we know each other as as humans and our families and and that there's something there's more legs on our table than just showing up on the pool deck.
0: It's just one of the, you know, from afar observations when you're trying to hire somebody to the staff um, in Los Angeles, one of the most expensive cities in the world. And I know that you kind of had a similar experience when you were in Palo Alto too, but does that limit it? I mean, trying to figure out with the cost of living, how you're going to get somebody to come over. And I mean, it also is going to segue into just recruiting because it is a $70,000 a year university is it, it does, do those price tags of the cost of living in LA limit some of your, uh, your options.
1: Um, I don't think it did this time. I mean, I think, you know, it's definitely something that I'm mindful about keeping, you know, I think that I am someone where um, I am in a situation where, um, you know, my husband's really supportive of me and my job. I feel like I'm, you know, one of those wives who's, you know, kind of, I, I lose money on uh, his behalf massively, but um you know, I'm committed to that, and and that will be my charge with retaining. I think will be the big thing. Is I'd love to kind of feel as if we this staff um is in it for the long haul, and I think I understand both giving autonomy and um and making it a practical um, life. Um, you know, uh. I think we did that, you know, with PD as four children, that was a big hurdle. Um, so we knew that that was a variable, but we were able, we were able to, to tackle it. And same with Megan and Kevin and, and Brooks, I'd love to keep them. And um, we're going to have to be creative as an institution. I'm going to have to be creative as a head coach to make sure that um, their quality of life and their balance of life is meaningful.
0: Yeah, as all programs, and it obviously comes with the appeal of living in California, Southern California specifically. But it does that seventy thousand a dollar, seventy thousand dollar a year tuition um, limit. Anything as far as recruiting for you guys?
1: I don't think so. I mean, um, I think we'll see. <laughs> this is my first. I mean, obviously, I think all all universities are expensive now, you know, I mean, there used to be a, you know, differentiating factor of public school, private school. I, I think, you you know, like college tuition is expensive right now. Um, I think, you know, the the private institution has perks and I do feel as if the resources at USC are incredible and the customer service is incredible along with the alumni. Um, I haven't seen it. Obviously it, you know, it's, it's more than in-state tuition and and those kind of things, but um, I think right, the opportunities of LA and you know the Olympics kind of coming around the corner. I think there's you know other assets and um, obviously I think USC has done a great job on their um, academic programs and and their rankings and and so there's things that I think are compelling and hopefully um, the coaching staff and and our success will be um, a compelling draw as well.
0: for sure. It, this is kind of unique perspective for you, too, because you've now you've had one son go through the whole process, Luke at Stanford. And now Rex is right in the heat of it, I'm assuming, you know, with yeah. his recruiting process
1: like in the fire. Yeah. yeah. So
0: how how has that changed your whole approach to recruiting, having seen it from that side?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, one thing is I, don't, I the recruiting process has always struck me as um, an odd process. I think any. Traditional high school student who's looking at college—it is a family affair. Um, I think it should be a little bit more of a family affair. Um, I'm incredibly honest, good, bad, or ugly. Uh, My uncle was a priest, but you know, I am going to be honest. When you come to USC, um, when you come on a recruiting trip, you're going to see what. Um, what class is like what what we're like, what workouts are like and you know I think being a college athlete is beautiful it's also challenging no matter where you go um there's going to be some hurdles. and so I think with my sons going through it, I just understand it's complicated. it's really early right now um I obviously want to try and um invite people coming here but uh, maybe um, I'm less pushy on the sales um just, and more inviting them in which may may serve me well it may not um i just think from my experience as a mother watching my kids it has been um, a complicated process it's a high class problem but um it's a big decision and i feel as if um kind of letting the athletes know student athletes know exact like as best they can what they're signing up for um and being transparent on that i i'm, I'm big believer that that's um, kind of what I should do as a human and feel like we're engaging with the parents and the kids, um, because I'm not sure it's a fair um, negotiation for whatever a 51 year old parent to be um, kind of outwitting, you know, a 17 year old.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you offer, you know, great perspective for those (laughs) parents, definitely relate, obviously, because you're right there in that seat with them. How does the, the move to the Big Ten? Let's talk a little bit about that first with how it kind of affects recruitings. Are you getting a lot of questions about that from recruits right now?
1: It's actually been um, I probably need to pivot a little bit. I'm having, you know, a little bit of uh I'm glad I have two more years um in the Pac twelve. I don't know how my uh peers in the Pac 12, my son wears that back to the pack uh t-shirt like every day. <laughs> He's like, hey mom, back to pack. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's, that feels good. But, um, I think, um, you know, Ray Luce invited me into the, uh, big 10 coaching group chat the first day. So, um, I told him a little too soon. I'm not ready, but I appreciate the invitation. Um, I, I think, uh, from the recruiting standpoint, there's actually been really popular. Um, people, you know, have a little bit of concern about travel. Um, but, Uh, maybe it's opening up la to on the midwest and the east coast parents are excited that um, there will be closer on one or two occasions and and maybe they're like easier to come and watch they'll probably still come out west that's usually people come in january come back to california Um, but i think you know it's an exciting move um and i think it you know it Probably as a coach, it will serve men's swimming. I think I'm worried about, you know, Olympic sports. And I think the Big Ten is one where um, they are going to be supported. And um, and um, like financially, it's it's a it's a better situation for um, in that regard for me as a coach. So um, I I appreciate their courage and, and jumping into the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic conference meet in three years when you guys make that jump. Is the biggest obstacle, though, just the travel for a non-football team, you know, where you guys are going to have to move your whole team across the country for dual meets and figuring out how that works with class schedules and stuff? Is that the biggest obstacle with this change?
1: Yeah, I think um, that's one of the obstacles. I think also... Um, I love the Pac 12, but it's not electric Um, uh, And in some ways, that's endearing to me. There has always been, like, it's a competitive meat. Um, I think there has always been, um, you know, a, a lower energy, and there's some, uh, like, I guess my belief that that helped people gear up for NC2As and then you know it will be different i think the big 10 will be more electric um and you know um that will that will have pros and cons that i think it will um it inherently um up the excitement and and the adrenaline and then there will be some kind of readjustment on how do we uh kind of rebound from that into the NC2A which in some some situations might not be as energetic as the conference meet. Um that's never been the case at the big tw- at the Pac12.
0: <laughs> did you find out like all of us through the news or did you Yeah, get I it?
1: got my text from yeah former like for I was just I just I don't know. People just uh yeah, my phone was blowing up. So yeah, I found out <laughs> probably after you did. Yeah.
0: So that kind of gets us all up to the moment. And now I really kind of want to just nerd out a little bit on coaching, if that's all right. Just talking about you guys are in your second week of 20 hour practices. Um, You know, what's the focus right now? Have you broken up into groups yet where you're getting specific with stuff?
1: Uh, not yet. Um, so our first three weeks, um, maybe four weeks, we're going on a retreat this weekend. Um, but right now we're focusing on technique, culture, and fitness. So we're in the weight room five days a week. Uh, we're doing circuit twice and traditional weights, um, three. And, you know, basically we're just making sure our form is good. And then the circuit is, um, more bodies by Lee we're shredding a little bit. Um, if there's, you know, mostly technique. Um, if there's work being done, it's probably more in kick. We did do a banger and they thought um an I am free set. I'm not convinced. Um, long course in the morning, short course in the afternoon, challenge sets Wednesdays and Saturdays, challenge set right now is um, you know, um, I would say in quotes, but uh that's kind of where we're doing what we're doing right now. And then uh yeah, the groups that's going to have to be a chart for me. Um, so, um, this is it, we have groups and then, um, we also feeling as if say you're an I um, and you're, you're like, that's, but let's see, I'm just like, we have the groups, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be with the group the whole time. So it could be something along the lines of, um, you know, like, right, you're an IMR but, and then I want you to do underwater work the last half hour, but there's another IMR where they might be doing breaststroke drills the last half hour. So um, it's a little more compartmentalized than pure groups on certain days where um, the last hour or last half hour, there might be rotating. So our bulkhead's really high. So we're working really hard on maneuvering um, and rotating. People feel really t- connected to their lane and moving. We're we're gonna work on being more like Formula One or um triathletes or something like that. So
0: <laughs> being able to transition through different parts of the practice in different groups. You're not even saying that sometimes they'll be in different groups per practice even.
1: Yes. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Um thank you. You're <laughs> you seem to be the minority opinion on that.
0: <laughs> I mean it keeps them active, keeps them engaged, keeps them constantly adapting um yeah and right and it it could
1: change right just feeling like it's very prescriptive but um yeah and we'll read read the group and everyone's like we have a lot of people so i am spending a lot of time planning and we're doing a lot of uh focus on culture also so we have a visions values and um the kids came up with behavior so one of the values is courage so what does courage look like in workout what does courage look like in competition what does courage look like in the locker room and you know, everywhere else. Um, and so they're coming up with behaviors and it's just allowing, um, you know, specific, um, like a sounding board for what it giving a better vocabulary and and inviting people into being great. And um, how do we do that? And no one can be great by themselves. And so feeling like we're inviting people up and into the harder sets or into the harder decisions. Um, and so we're just finding our voices and it's exciting, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's heavy stuff. It's exciting stuff, but, um, it's intense and, and we're growing every single day. I mean, there's Monday was a little low. And then Tuesday I was almost in tears with how proud I was. So, um, we're making big strides. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's just like any team there's good days and bad days.
0: How do you have those discussions? Is it a team meeting? Is it an organized event? Like obviously team bonding and culture, a big piece early in the season, but I mean, let's get into the nitty gritty. I mean, how do you do it? Cause just sitting together and in a circle and saying, all right, talk doesn't necessarily always lead to the conversation that you're looking for. So how how do you lead that culture, but at the same time, allow them to have their input in it?
1: Yeah. I mean, we did, you know, personality assessment yesterday for an hour and a half and we kind of did like, you know um, it was massively impactful. I think we learned a lot about each other um, we're reading books we've, you know, read over the summer. So we started a little bit of it with the group. We had about 25 people here this summer. Um, we read a book on dignity. So, um, our position is everyone has dignity, you know, babies have dignity, homeless people have dignity, murderers have dignity. Um, and, and what, if you wrong me rather than reacting poorly, I, I kind of, behave well to preserve my dignity. And then there's components to dignity, you know, there's safety, there's, um, you know, all these things. And so their students are broken up into eight pods. There are people who have been here in the summer and um, there's probably about six people per pod and um, two people have been here in the summer and they're, they, they run meetings on the different um, characteristics and we have discussions Um, Yeah, we do a lot where we have um, student athletes do presentations, and then we break up and do smaller group discussions where they come up, you know, we did like actions that go in line with, you know, the values, whether it's courage or integrity, or growth, um, and say, what does that look like, and there was a list of you know, 15 or 20, and we disseminated it down to three or four, you know, just to have that. And we're going to put that up on the board. So, um, we've done a lot of work on this. Um, our vision statement is we are devoted to the pursuit of our best selves fueled by a team that cultivates confidence to maximize results. Um, and, you know, we had that was a lot of work um, to kind of figure out who that is, you know, who we are and and what we stand for. Um, that was ours. You know, so um, we're putting in the time. They were saying "Oh, we haven't done that much, but they're like, we are exhausted. <laughs> um, but I know more about the athletes in the last 10 days than I did in two years. And that's the part that I like the most people. When I joke about the meetings, we're having meetings. I want to make a new office with a circular desk and chairs. I want my door open. Um, It's going to be tea with Lee. I'm terrible at like, like little, you know, hip saying. So I thought it was literally tea with Lee. So I have like tea and coffee makers and they're just like, oh, it just means like gossip with Lee, but who doesn't like tea? So, <laughs> but we're going to be open and dialogue, you know, we're going to be intense on the deck and then um, make sure that we unpack things and, and we're on the same page. But um, yeah, it's it's um, it's going really well. And, and the athletes are wowing me at every step that, you know, They're um, so incredible in their presentations. They do clips of Ted Lasso. It's really creative. No one's phoning in and everyone's um, really putting forth good effort.
0: And you guys haven't even hit the retreat this weekend yet. I know, (laughs) What's planned for the retreat this weekend? What kind of activities do you take this to the next level? Because it seems like a lot of stuff that happens on the retreat, but you guys have the whole weekend ahead to kind of solidify all of this, right?
1: Yeah, so the retreat, I mean, I think, you know, um, Bill Walsh would say you can't kind of have a talk about like don't drink at one time and then plan on you have to like keep repeating so the retreat is one where we're kind of really trying to cement some things in and we're going to do another retreat after the November so this is just a continuation of getting to know. Um, who we are and and where we're going and and to your point letting the athletes be um, you know feel more autonomous and and feel as if they're this is their team and and this is what they want to do and then I think you know moving into November we'll have better color on um, now we are united as individuals and we are connected and then now how do we kind of really pivot into the championship season and, and feel like we are sharpening um, our edges in terms of performance. How does this translate? How does this connection and this character translate into um, high performance?
0: It sounds like great foundational stuff, coach, where a lot of times coaches want to get going, especially with the preseason um, but this is the kind of stuff that really sets a season apart, really kind of sets the foundation for it all. I do want to ask what the banger I am set was from it was. Uh, I'm
1: embarrassed to admit it. it was not bad.
0: Well, then give me a good banger, uh, a set that you guys have been doing because that's what a lot of these podcast listeners love. And I know as a coach, I definitely love hearing about good sets, even if it's not something that you look at as needing an engineering degree to be able to decide. Yeah, yeah,
1: this one, I, like, I like one. I think I'll just have to like it was long course and um the pool was hot. So that was like one variable. Um, but it was it was I I'll tell you what we did. So we did a uh, 400 warm-up with a snorkel, and then we did six one hundreds long course. So we did 130, 125, 120, 125, 120, 115. We did 450s kick, and then we did 450s where it was 15 meters underwater, 20 meters body line, and then 15 meter build. We did four of those. And then we did, um, uh, I think it's a thousand kicks. So you do two fifties kick on a minute, two on 50, two on a minute, three on 50, two on a minute, four on 50, two on a minute, five on 50. Um, then we did a small reset set. And then it was a 200 free, 200 IM, 200 free, two 200 IMs. 200 free three, 200 IMs. Um, and you know, we ended with a, like a free stroke drill set. So, um, the, the 200 IMs right now, long course. Yeah. They felt like that was a little dirty.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. That's how, that's how they get those bodies by Lee though. Right.
1: Yeah. it's how you get bodies by Lee heart, heart, and lungs.
0: Awesome. Well, Lee, I really appreciate your time today. It sounds like the season is off to a great start and you're doing a fantastic job kind of setting the tone for that. So thanks for cutting out a little bit of time for us at Swim Swam and uh, best of luck going forward in the season.
1: Thanks. Always love it. Right on. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week.